0: All right, as you were. In the last few weeks, there's a question you might have been asking yourself Has the U.S. just experienced an environmental disaster that no one is able to clean up? The disaster I'm talking about happened in East Palestine, Ohio, earlier this month. A train derailed while carrying a load of hazardous chemicals. The resulting toxic cloud has had folks wondering ever since. Well, residents here, Errol, have a lot of questions. Mainly, they want to know, are they safe? Mm-hmm. Where is safe and what is safe? Are the water, soil and air safe? Is it OK to shower? I feel like we're being lied to. We're not safe. Cause you can smell it. We're not stupid. And I'm saying, wow, you know, this really looks like a nuclear winter. And I said, well, you know... Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. We nuked this town for with chemicals, and this is what they're getting. It turns out, Slate's got a bit of an expert on Rust Belt train derailments on staff. Ben Mathis Lilly. Ben grew up in Michigan, in a place that bears some resemblance to East Palestine. There's a chemical plant nearby, and trains was in and out. When he was seven, one of those trains jumped the tracks.
1: It wasn't until, like, I left uh, for college that I realized that this wasn't actually a normal thing that happens everywhere. <laughs> it's just places that happen to be by rail- railroads or chemical plants. <laughs> and not everyone had to, like, periodically leave their house or, like, worry about floating toxic chemical clouds.
0: Ben wants you to know that train derailments are actually pretty common. There are something like a 1,000 of them a year. What's not common is for a village like East Palestine, which has got a population of less than 5,000— to feel the glare of the BBC, Fox News, and a whole lot of live streamers all at once. You could get a sense of how the pressure's been building up at a meeting last week in the East Palestine High School gym.
1: Okay, I'm gonna click play, and uh, we'll, I don't know if you guys will hear it or not.
0: I asked Ben to tune into the meeting with me. The truth is, I feel that if this did happen somewhere else, it would have been handled totally different. So we are the residents here, they did sound scared and confused. What rolls through on those tracks is of more value than the lives of the residents in this community at the end of the day. But the leaders, they sounded scared and confused too. We can't, you know, we're trying to get
1: information out to our citizens. Everybody's concerned. I'm concerned. But,
0: when the mayor took questions from a scrum of reporters, he veered back and forth from his role as a concerned citizen to a voice of reason.
1: What's your reaction to them saying they don't feel safe coming here tonight?
0: I don't feel safe in my town. I tell everybody they're safe. I think our citizens are safe. I think my drinking water's safe.
1: The first time he stops and he says, I think we're safe. I think our drinking water is safe. I think that speaks to what's going on with this story is that it's actually maybe too early to tell exactly what the consequences of this train crash were.
0: I don't care about giving reports on TV. I, you know, I want you all safe. I want my citizens. I want this, this. I don't want 50 cameras around me. I want to be watching a basketball game here, watching my kids play in this gym. People don't, people keep forgetting. I, yeah, I'm a local politician. I live in this town. I don't,
1: I don't, so you can kind of see the press looking for this to be maybe like a Flint, Michigan type situation where, where we have this kind of concrete harm and this set of villains who are responsible for it. But I, I think, like, already right there, you're seeing a little bit of the conflict between what we know and, and, you know, what we're worried about.
0: I think if you asked any of the reporters who were at this meeting just what they were doing, they'd tell you they were holding public officials accountable. They were trying to get answers. But what happens when there aren't a whole lot of answers to give?
1: And I think that that's part of what's going on with this story, is that there's this really shocking image of a giant black cloud of this vinyl chloride being burned off over a small town in Ohio, and it's very upsetting, alarming image, and it seems like someone should pay the price for this. And it's not exactly clear yet even why the train derailed so it it maybe is too early to slot this 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 story this disaster into our larger political discussion our larger narrative about what's going on in the country
0: today on the show how a disaster in ohio became a kind of rorschach test for what you think is going wrong in this country i'm mary harris you're listening to what next stick around
1: Call ClayGranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: The train that crashed in East Palestine went off the rails on February 3rd, but it was dramatic pictures of the cleanup from this crash that really caught everyone's attention. That happened on February 6th when local leaders set the train's hazardous cargo on fire and a giant black cloud. Towered over the town. And then it traveled east, rolling into Pennsylvania. One man started recording video when he caught sight of the cloud. His reaction has been viewed hundreds of thousands of times. These aren't storm clouds. This is the
1: fucking shit that they burn off, the fucking shit they burn off in East Palestine. This is not
0: fucking. I asked Slate's Ben Mathis Lilly to take me back to the beginning when the train operated by transportation giant Norfolk Southern first went off the rails. Ben said this crash was pretty remarkable from the start.
1: As I understand it, it's pretty common for trains to derail, but not to crash in this way. You know, like for, you know, a derailment is, as you would imagine, any time a wheel comes off the track. So that's something that can happen without causing a loss of life or, uh, you know, a of fire or a loss of property. So I, I think it's fairly common for this to happen. It's definitely not common for, you know, I think p- people may have seen the drone shots of dozens of cars piled up and kind of black with smoke and ash. Like that's that's uh, obviously something that does not happen on a weekly basis.
0: Yeah. I mean, no one was killed or injured in this derailment, but the chemicals involved seem pretty nasty. Like, how, how nasty?
1: <laughs> uh so the the, ma- the main one that's that's of concern right now or or was of concern especially immediately is this chemical called vinyl chloride which is uh involved in um the manufacturing of PVC plastic uh you know PVC piping and lots of other products that you would have in in your house um and it is a carcinogen it's a known carcinogen you know if it's present in an environment for long enough the question and the concern obviously is Was it going to leak into the ground? Was it going to leak into the water? Was it going to explode into the air at a level that would cause, um, you know, a massive public health problem?
0: Yeah, the CDC, when you look up vinyl chloride, it says, you know, chronic exposure can cause permanent liver injury and liver cancer, neurological symptoms. It does not sound good.
1: No, no, it doesn't sound good at all. And so what happened was, uh, you know, as we understand it from, from the news reports, that these were some of the cars that were on fire, the ones that contained vinyl chloride, um, and at least one, I believe, was was, was punctured. Um, and so there was an immediate concern, not only uh, about it leaking out, but if first responders are getting to it, are they going to be exposed? Are they going to make the situation worse with what they're doing? Uh, and so what was decided by the Norfolk Southern and by, by authorities was that they're going to, I think what they did was they, they drained the vinyl chloride out of the cars into like a burn pit or trench. And then they, they set it on fire to to kind of get rid of it in a controlled way to prevent it because it's also explosive, right? So it's in addition to being a carcinogen, this is something that, uh, you know, it can explode. And so the concern was that it would explode with, from within inside the cars in an uncontrolled way. And that would, you know, we don't know how big the explosion would have been or, you know, where the shrapnel would have gone. So that was why they burned it off in the way they did. Yeah, the mayor basically
0: said, like, I was looking at two bad options, like, let this chemical sit there and, like, have shrapnel all over my town right. or intervene and have a chemical cloud. And he went with chemical cloud.
1: Yeah, so th- that's where you get these very striking images of this looming cloud of black smoke over, over East Palestine. And I think, obviously, that's where a significant amount of the concern comes from, because if, you know, the cloud like that is floating over your your house, you're going to be, um, you can have some questions about what's going on.
0: Did this controlled burn release more chemicals? Do we know?
1: Um, as, as far as we know, and, and we're going on what the EPA has said and what the, um, you know, the testing that's been done, uh, the amount that was released into the air by the burn is not sufficient because, you know, mixes with the rest of the atmosphere, Uh, It is not sufficient to reach a level that is dangerous to humans. That's what they're saying right now. And the same is true for the water. There is some, not only the vinyl chloride, but some of the other substances were on the train, got into some of the local streams.
0: There are pictures of like dead frogs and dead fishes.
1: Yes, exactly. They know this is happening. This is not, there's no cover up of this. But what they're saying is that uh, they were able to contain it in such a way that the damage is going to be limited. And then, you know, whatever chemicals did get out into the larger watershed um, are then being diluted to the extent that they are not, again, they're not, you know, it's not going to trip any alarms uh, in testing because it's not at a level that is known to be dangerous to humans, which is like one of these things like about this story is like, you know, this wasn't uh, a secret, you know, a secret government project. This wasn't a company dumping something where it wasn't supposed to be dumping something like this is actually uh, kind of standard practice for the way our economy works. Um, Obviously, you don't want the train to derail, but there was an other other than that, this is pretty much just how things that are in your house get made.
0: In the days since the derailment, there's been so much finger pointing over how the disaster happened and who's to blame for it. And I, I want to start with the derailment itself. There have been some allegations that the initial crash could have been prevented, like some have pointed to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg because he didn't reinstate Obama-era rules around braking equipment on trains carrying hazardous materials. Is that criticism valid?
1: So, yeah, the the idea there is that, um, you know, the Trump administration rolled back this rule about trains carrying hazardous materials and how and what kind of brakes they have to be equipped with so that they can brake more smoothly and evenly and faster in, in dangerous situations. However, as uh, has been pointed out, uh, that this train actually m- would not have met the uh, definition of a hazard of a train carrying hazardous materials because it wasn't entirely filled with flammable uh, chemicals. Huh. So, uh, it may not be literally true that <laughs> Mayor Pete, <laughs> you know, is responsible for this crash because mm-hmm. of this specific issue about braking. However, what a, a group called Railroad Workers United has said is that maintenance standards have been undermined by railroad companies like Norfolk Southern uh, and that they believe uh this train was not properly inspected and that a proper inspection proper staffing and so forth would have caught this problem you know with with uh with the wheel the axle that caused the derailment um i think that you're going to have to you know wait and see what the national transportation safety board says Which is not a particularly exciting thing to make your, you know, Fox News primetime show about, for example. (laughs) You know, obviously something went wrong, um, but exactly what it was and whether it could have been prevented by better staffing on the railroad, I don't know if if you can, if anyone can fully say yet at this point.
0: Yeah, there's one more criticism that I want to make sure we talk about, which is about how the town is being treated now by government officials, not the media, like the EPA and the railroad company itself. Because, you know, the railroad company has said it feels like its workers are are threatened by locals. Like it feels like the locals are so angry with them. They're not safe to go out. But it's also notable to me that local testing to see if the air is safe, if the water is safe, it seems to be being done by the EPA in conjunction with Norfolk Southern, the railroad company. And in some ways, that makes sense. Like the company made a mistake here and they should be responsible for cleaning it up. But I could see how if I lived in the town, even if the company had done hundreds of home tests, which they have, allegedly showing that everything was peachy keen, I might have questions because the railroad company has something to protect. Like it's it's financial interest. It's business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's what you're seeing um, happening in this in this clip of the mayor at this town meeting. Like there's all these debates that are (laughs) that are Kind of being bundled together into this this very small town. It's a town that's small even by the standards of you know towns in the Midwest. It's five thousand people, um, and so now you have all these reporters there. You have representatives of the government. You have now the Biden administration maybe feeling some heat about not having gone there sooner. So you know the governor of Ohio wants to you know make it clear that he's concerned about this, and so you you have all these people who are kind of commingled in these ongoing debates about whether. Private equity and and the ownership of the railroad companies and the ownership of all companies have too much power over workers in the United States, uh, and so you have all these battles that are just kind of being transported into this tiny town and into literally into this little gymnasium where the you know the mayor is saying I would rather be watching uh, kids basketball here. So you can you can understand the frustration of local residents who are being kind of thrown into the center of these arguments at the same time as we've been saying that they're seeing like dead frogs in the streams and smelling chlorine all night and having to kind of, you know, uh, source bottled water for themselves because they're not entirely convinced yet that the water is safe. Uh, it's, uh, It's a lot to be going through, I could imagine. After the break,
0: how cable news continues to shape the way we tell this derailment story. Part of what's interesting to me about what's going on in East Palestine is the sheer breadth of people who seem to be using this story as proof positive for their own point of view. Union boosters see train operator Norfolk Southern as at fault. Environmentalists see evidence of lax chemical regulation. And Fox News has used the crash as a way to further their ongoing narrative about the way Washington has left Rust Belt states behind.
1: This seems like an actual environmental disaster. I don't detect any urgency from the EPA or from Washington at all. Is it because these are not their voters? I think that's a big part of it. I think that the entire country...
0: Sometimes people who seem to be agreeing with each other on cable news are then arguing with each other online, the way environmental activist Erin Brockovich picked a fight with Ohio's far-right Senator J.D. Vance a few days back. She was angry he had taken so long to issue a statement about the crash and its fallout
1: so i think that that what's going on is is that both the the right and the left in this country actually kind of share uh a belief that that normal people if you will or working people um are are being ignored or or that the system is you know the system quote unquote is rigged against them and so here you have this this you know very kind of uh, striking or you know compelling you know, example with, with some very compelling visuals to go along with it and, and the kind of imagery of like these animals dying and, and under a cloud of black smoke and you have this thing that seems to suggest that like everything we've we've been saying is is correct you know the big companies are villains here or the media doesn't care about people in this part of the country and so you have this situation in which everyone kind of thinks that their suspicions are being are being confirmed. And yet they know that they don't really agree with each other, which is where I think that the, the um, Aaron Brokovich, the, the environmental activist, um, chastising J.D. Vance, Senator J.D. Vance, the, the new Ohio senator who's a guest on Tucker Carlson's show all the time. She was kind of, you know, mad at him. Uh, but th- what was interesting about it, is you actually looked at, at Vance's statement, the statement that he made uh, as a as a senator, not some of the kind of more.
0: Like not a tweet.
1: Yeah, so it was. He actually was putting out a statement in his capacity as a senator. And if you actually go in and look at that statement, I, I, you know, I think there maybe there's some like factual quibbles you can make with it. But it's actually like a pretty reasonable, like kind of public health statement. Like this is what we know happened. This is who's done the testing. This is what we still don't know. If you have this problem or this question, like go here and there. Like it, it was actually like a pretty responsible statement. And but so what she was upset about him it was saying she was upset saying like, oh, it took you nine days to put this out, you know, and that's kind of what. Mayor Pete and, and the Biden administration are getting yelled at from the other side is like, well, they didn't talk about this soon enough. And it's and I think that speaks to the the underlying issue that we've been talking about, which is that we don't know exactly what's gone wrong and who's to blame. And so it's it's like there's nothing actually to argue about, but we know we have to argue with each other and we know we're mad about it, you know. And so that's the that's what the media environment around this story is like right now.
0: Yeah. And the language is so extreme, um, at least among the sort of partisan news outlets like Fox News was saying, it's like these people got nuked with toxins. And it's I'm just not sure that's helping anyone. You know, it's like there something did happen here. That is, we need to understand what went wrong so it doesn't happen again. I don't know that telling people they were nuked with toxins is either reassuring or solving the problem.
1: Yeah, you have Fox News on one hand saying nuked with toxins and then you have a a I don't know, Twitter account uh, run by the the Chinese government, trying to start the hashtag Ohio Chernobyl. You know, uh, so this it's like as inflammatory as you can get with language, uh, and it's coming from really everywhere. And I don't think either in either case it's justified by what we know. And then there's this kind of like you know outside that, uh, particularly from the right, uh, from the right wing media, there's this um, idea that just kind of generally, like, elites, coastal elites and liberals don't care what happens to people in places like East Palestine, Ohio. So, you know, they didn't regulate the railroads. And then even when the train crashed, you know, no one covered it because no one cared about what happens to these people. I'm not saying that's, I'm not agreeing with that. I'm just, I'm sharing that that's kind of the perspective that's um, being presented in another part of our media right now.
0: I want to address head on the allegation that the mainstream media is ignoring this story. Like, Donald J. Trump Jr. said in a tweet, like, basically the same people who told you plastic straws were a huge threat to the environment are ignoring this disaster in East Palestine. I'm assuming that's not fair. (laughs) But, But what did you find when you tried to answer that question honestly?
1: I mean, I do think that there was a lag between the local reporting and the national reporting. Um, I, I, you know, I think, I actually think it it was, um, in in a weird way justified because, you know, there weren't any fatalities in this crash. There weren't even any injuries that we know about. Um, and there was testing that's taking place and it's, and what the tests are saying is that, you know, as far as we know, there's not, there's not a toxic level of vinyl chloride in the air here. Uh, so if you're, uh, I guess to put yourself in the, in the mindset of, of someone who's deciding what's going to go on CNN, you know, um, you know, maybe you would put another story on the air instead. But at the same time, I, I kind of I can understand w- why people would see a picture of, you know, of what's happening there and, and and wonder why it wasn't getting more coverage. So I, I kind of understand it in a way. But no, I don't really think it I don't think it's being suppressed by, by the press, per se.
0: Yeah. You know, I look at what has happened in East Palestine And the argument that journalists aren't paying attention to it. And I just can't help thinking about somewhere else entirely, which is a place known as Cancer Alley in Louisiana. It's a place where petrochemicals have poisoned the air and there's actual data showing an increased rate of cancer there. Um, The region's also, I think, like 40 percent black. And there was no explosion there. It's just a, a chronic poisoning essentially. But I don't see coverage of that in my newsfeed every day, even though it is really a legitimate disaster. And it also took years, I believe, to prove this association. And to me, it kind of sums up where we're potentially going wrong with this story, which is that the explosion sort of necessitates us to be there immediately asking questions. But these questions are going to linger for a really long time.
1: I think that's a, a, a great way of summing it up. and it's one of the tricky things about uh, you know living in our environment in general uh, is that these are very, very complicated questions. The question of whether a particular contaminant caused a specific health issue in a specific person or a population of people that's about one of the most complicated questions you can possibly ask scientifically and it takes years of data. It takes, you know, simply years of living for these people in, in these areas to sometimes develop these conditions. And it's, it's just not something that it's, it's easy to um, summarize in a, in a, a news story uh, or, a, or a TV segment necessarily. And it's not something where it's easy to draw blame exactly. And so we are left with these situations where everyone knows that something is wrong, but no one is really sure how to do anything about it. And it's sometimes, as you're pointing out, difficult to get anyone's attention about it, especially if there's not a kind of clear story of a villain and a victim. And so instead, we, we kind of have 40 uh, members of the press clustering in a gym in, in Ohio to argue with each other about why the media isn't paying attention to Ohio. Uh, and it's kind of an absurd situation. And I have no idea what there is to be done about it.
0: Ben, I'm super grateful for your reporting. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you guys for having me, as always.
0: Ben mathis Lilly is a Slate senior writer. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support our work is to look into our membership program. It's known as Slate Plus, and the way to find out more is to go on over to Slate.com slash What Next Plus. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Jared Downing and Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can find me on Twitter at Mary's Desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back in this feed tomorrow.